Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Thanks for being here for another Your Financial Mission. Walter Strohholt alongside Janine Theus. She's the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your financial commander here on the podcast in Columbia, serving Howard County and beyond. You can find Janine online at TheusWealthAdvisors.com. Janine, you doing all right this week? I am doing great, Walter. It's good to be back with you. Very glad to hear that. Looking forward to our conversation on the podcast today. We're going to be talking a lot about the Internet today, as well as a few other items as well. We've got uh, a little bit of a new format on the podcast today as well. So from now on, we're going to start every podcast with something that we've seen in the news recently. Now, this is kind of a regular staple anyway on Janine's podcast, but we'll kick off each show with that. We're going to answer one of your questions in every show, since that was certainly one of the most popular things that we did here on Your Financial Mission, taking your questions from time to time. Well, now we're going to take one every single time we do an episode. We're to talk a little bit more about how the internet is perhaps not your friend when it comes to financial planning and retirement. But first, let's see what's happening in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. All right, Janine, recently saw this headline. You know, our country's been debating Facebook's use of user data and privacy issues for the past several weeks now. And in a world where identity theft is common, I'm curious, what do you do to protect the privacy of your clients, and what do you suggest people do to protect themselves in this kind of, you know, hyper-privacy-focused, yet hyper-not-having-privacy-at-all age that we're living in right now? Well, one of the things we do is, obviously, don't share information with anyone, don't talk about cases with folks, um, you know, outside of the office who don't need to hear anything, and that can be a big uh, breach of privacy. But also we keep things under lock and key or password protected. You can't get into our computers without passwords. You also can't get into where we keep a lot of files in share secured servers. So, and we don't pass information. We've uh, adopted a new procedure where we uh, use a, it's a third party software that allows you to send things back and forth in a secure fashion. So none of this is breached. So yeah, we're really big on, you know, keeping things private and then locked behind, you know, lock and key, locked door. But having said all of that, I thought it would be interesting to talk about the 17 biggest data breaches of the 21st century. So all of the efforts we make, uh, many of us, CPAs and financial advisors, to keep folks' information private is actually undone by some of the biggest companies around. So I thought I'd just quickly go through one of the biggest breaches was by Yahoo. And this was back in 2013 to 2014. Three billion user accounts were hacked. So, you know, information, emails, names, addresses, dates of birth, telephone numbers, all hacked on Yahoo back then. And I don't remember hearing that 
in the media. Do you? No, not back then. I, I don't think we heard about that until recently. That finally made headlines, what, years later, right? Yeah. So uh, in September of 2016, you know, this internet giant was in negotiations to sell itself to Verizon. And it announced, that's when it announced it had been the victim of the biggest data breach in history, likely by some state-sponsored actors, what they called it, in 2014. And it had all of this private issue for their 500 million users. Mm. And so then, you know, as these negotiations are going forward, oh, by the way, we were also hacked earlier in 2013, you know, that compromised a billion accounts. So... You know, you're a billion (laughs) people, my goodness, a a billion. Yeah. So whether we like it or not, a lot of our information has been hacked by other sources. And and I'll get into a little bit of the hacking in a minute. Adult Friend Finder, a site I've never heard of, but that's for people who, you know, casual, which I find that an interesting descriptor, casual hookup and adult (laughs) um, content websites. You know, there's 400 plus million accounts eBay, 145 million users in 2014 compromised. I, I, I don't know if I'm stealing your thunder, but is Ashley Madison on your list? I remember that was a big one. And yeah, that was. And you're right. That's not on the list. And that was in the same vein as the adult friend finder. I think when uh, that's the one where if you want to cheat on your, your spouse, oh, right. that was the site specifically made for you. Yeah, that's right. I, this probably is some sister site, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, didn't so, mean to interrupt your flow there. But <laughs> yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so there's eBay, Equifax. Well, we all heard about Equifax recently. That was a big uh, one know. because that's one you expect to be secure. Yeah, exactly. So 143 million consumers, you know, hacked. So, so their credit information is exposed, all that. Heartland Payment Systems in 2008, Target stores. Well, you remember the Target data breach. So that was back in 2013. I feel like um, that was the first really big one. I remember when Target that, got hacked. That seemed like the first really big news event when, in terms of hacking. And then that's when they reported it. And so, you know, as I was reading through this quick article, I was like, wow, this happened like TJX companies back in 2006, 94 million credit cards exposed. Oh, wow. So Uber got hit in 2016, you know, 600,000 drivers. J.P. Morgan Chase, 76 million households. That was 2014. And then, of course, OPM, Office of Personnel and Management, where a lot of former military, retired military, veterans, uh, a lot of government service people, 22 million federal employees hacked. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of us remember that one. Sony PlayStation, Anthem, which um, is the second largest insurer of the United States, formerly known as WellPoint. And you know what happens when these things often happen? It's kind of like in the financial industry. When you mess up, you have to kind of close your books and become somebody else. So you change your name. You just rebrand and then you're back in business, right? (laughs) That's right. Exactly. It's like a a local restaurant closed recently and they were like, yeah, we're after 30 years in business, you know, we're no longer in business. And then you find out the restaurant will just be opening with a new name. So they're just they're just freshening up the name to kind of spruce it up, make it look like a new place. But it's going to be same management, same same menu for the most part, just a different name, a different color scheme. And, you know, it's yep. all new now. And they're all back, you know. So Verisign, Home Depot, Adobe. So these are some of the big, big companies that everybody's familiar with that have been hacked. So your data is out there somewhere. And of course, you know, when it's hacked like this, it's who are they selling it to and who controls it? Hmm. So even though you try, I mean, even banks have these issues. You try and, and there's all these secure systems to to protect your privacy. Well, how is it that this huge amount of data is uh, being handled somewhere in the ether? 
So I'd like to just cover uh, 11 simple steps, and we'll go through them rather quickly, to how to protect yourself to the extent that you can. (laughs) So don't fill out your social media completely in your profile. Okay. You know, fake your birthday, you know, because nobody's going to check on that. But, you know, give a different birth date. Everybody will be just wishing you a birthday, happy birthday on a different date. So you just have to get used to that. <laughs> just do it a day a day early and it'll be a nice surprise. Or a day late. As soon as you thought the birthday magic was over, then uh, you'll get, you know, 35 people. Well, I guess that shows I don't have many Facebook friends. 35 people said happy birthday to you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I probably shot a little low with that number, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so be choosy about sharing your social security number. Obviously, that that's kind of a no-brainer, even the last four digits. And here's something I just read recently. You do not have to give your social security number to the doctor. So, so maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, why do they need that anyway? <laughs> uh, it's just another identifier. Yeah. So you don't have to do that because if they have your birth date and a social security or leaving their last four, they can guess the rest. A lot of times the softwares can lock down your hardware. So set your PC up to require a password when it wakes up from sleep or boots up. Now, all my engineers know this, but, you know, most people just kind of go through life. Oh, yeah, I got my computer. But when you open your laptop, it should be, you know, there should be a page that comes up that you have to log into. Yeah. So somebody can't get into your data. So you need to lock down some of your your hardware. I mean, it is convenient not having those lock screens in place so you can just log on and rock and roll. But you run a big risk there. Right, right. Turn on private browsing. So if you don't want anyone to see, anyone with physical access to your computer to see where you're hanging out online, you probably should enable private browsing. And you can do that in most of the major web browsers. Use a password vault that generates and remembers strong and unique passwords because none of us can remember a 14-character password, especially if you have 20 of them. So you can either use a generator or think of a phrase. And in the phrase you kind of mix up your, you know, your, your numbers and your special characters. But even I forget those. Yeah. (laughs) Did I change the E's to threes and the O's to zeros and all those kinds of things? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, just giving away techniques here, but (laughs) use a two factor authentication, which a lot of, um, when you log on to different sites now, like, uh, my credit union requires practically three factor authentication, which is a pain, but I get why they're doing it. And, you know, it just keeps others from accessing your information as easily set up a Google alert for your name. So that anybody's trying to act like you, you would get an alert about that. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting from business insider was paying for everything in cash. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know too many people that can do that on a regular basis. What the point is, you know, giving out a lot of information via credit cards. Because the thing with credit cards then is you've got to go back and check your cards regularly to make sure you haven't had fraudulent charges show up. I recently had three of them show up in Towson and I haven't been to Towson in months. So, Hmm. you know, it's just, it's just interesting. So Towson is on the north side of Baltimore you know, keep your social network activity private. Don't give your zip code out when making credit card purchases. But what's interesting is a lot of times they link your zip code to being able to move forward on a credit card purchase. I noticed it changed quite a while ago from even debit cards. Sometimes it seems like they don't do the pin thing, but they want the, they want the zip code instead. Right, right. And then the last thing is lie when setting up your password security questions. 
So oh, of I course, get you, it. Uh, <laughs> of course, you're going to have to remember the lie, like what's your mother's maiden name, or what school did you graduate from, or things like that. Yeah, favorite um, favorite band. Pick your least favorite band, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you have to do a little bit of a twist on the question, but you know, the goal is here to be as as security conscious as you can be, because hackers are very good at getting through data systems now and um my older son is getting into cyber and the things he comes and you know when he comes home to talk to us about it's pretty shocking how much they can pull out of your computer yeah you're, uh, you're scaring you know, me with that to. talk <laughs> <laughs> but it you know it's something people should really think about because in america we're very i mean we really are an open trusting people yeah and you you hope that everyone has your best interest at heart. Uh, I was talking to a, a client recently who's a the dean of cyber, and he said, have you heard of ransomware? And I'd never heard that. But hospitals are now being hacked, and it's with ransomware that the, whoever the hacker is can, re, you know, require they deposit certain amount of monies to get their patient data back because yeah. they'll lock down the patient data. So now the hospital is going to fork over you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. You're no longer taking people hostage. You just take people's data hostage. Exactly. And so big companies will pay big dollars to get their data back. And it's very unfortunate, but that's that's the downside of the internet. Definitely has some downsides, and I think we're going to expand on that a little bit more coming up in the podcast. But at least for now, that's what's happening in the news. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. That sound means it's time to answer this week's mailbag question, a question from somebody just like you. If you'd like to submit a question to be featured on the show, you can do that by going to theuswealthadvisors.com. Contact us through the webpage there or through the podcast page. If you happen to be listening to us there, you should see a, a way to get in touch, and you can ask your question to be featured on the show. This one comes from Kent. Kent says, a friend of mine says his – oh, you're going to like this question, by the way, Janine. Uh, a friend of mine says his quote-unquote financial guy put him in some investments that are going to average 10% annually. I think it's mutual funds or something like that. He says investing isn't really that hard if you get a good money guide. Uh, I like this friend, but he's also a bit of a rube, so I don't know how much I believe him on the subject. Should I go talk to his financial guy or instead throw him in the pool at the next neighborhood barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> I think you should throw him in the pool, actually. <laughs> it would be very entertaining. Whether it's good advice or not, that's just always good for entertainment, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, anytime somebody talks about a financial guy in concert with a purported guarantee of 10%, you should throw them in the pool. Because one, the industry compliance requirements never, you can't say that you guarantee anybody anything. But more importantly, the market cannot guarantee you 10%. So I don't know how this, you know, financial guy could guarantee anybody 10% annually. So it's one of two things, either the market did really well, and his accounts did really well, and so the financial guy's taking credit, and or he's giving his financial guy credit for that for last year, let's say, or you know it's the annuity sales pitch that says we'll guarantee you X amount of percent per year, which is you have to be very careful 
about what that is. There are ratchets that do guarantee 6% up, 6, 7, 8%, you know, it depends on the annuity and the interest rates at the time that can guarantee an increase ratchet in the book value from which you would then take an income at some point down the road. That's a little more complicated. It can work. It's a little more complicated than just saying, I get 10% annually. So it's really important for people to distinguish what it is exactly this guy's talking about. And I would guess that he doesn't even understand it. Yeah, I think so, that's a pretty so, good point. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like I'm saying annuities are bad or annuities are good. You should understand what it is, you know, this strategy encompasses because you can get yourself in a lot of trouble by going down that road and being sold something that you didn't need, didn't want, or doesn't work for you. And the market's going to give what the market's going to give in any given year. Nobody knows what that's going to be. So if you understand that, then when you're listening to somebody boasting about what percentage he gets, it would be helpful if you understood what the market actually did. So for instance, last year, the entire US market combination did about 13%. So you could say, well, I beat you. Yeah. <laughs> if you knew that. On the other hand, the, the international equity side last year, 2017, did 27%. So what are we talking about? And that's what's very difficult in a lot of these conversations because it's a generality that people are usually speaking about. I think that's a great point. I would also just point out to be wary of what people call their financial advisor. Usually financial guy is not the necessary vernacular, I'm sure. Also, the best I heard was my money man. Somebody said, my money man yeah. told me to do this. If you've got a money man, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I could be off base there. I'm, I'm guessing none of your clients call you the money gal, money gal. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, and, you know, again, an advisor's job is to help you with all the money decisions around that money and to help you with the portfolio that's going to get you where you're trying to go long term, not just one year's return. That's a great point. Be not this solitary so. year's outlook. Right. Good question, Kent. Thank you for that one. Yeah, throw the guy in the pool. Sounds like that would be a good idea next time you see him at the barbecue. We love getting your questions. Again, if you want to submit one to be featured on a future podcast, just go to TheusWealthAdvisors.com, TheusWealthAdvisors.com. All right, Janine, we started off the podcast talking today about uh, what was in the news, and we talked about Facebook and user and you know user data and privacy issues and things like that. And it got me thinking about you know counterintuitive pieces of financial guidance. And we were going to actually do an, a whole episode on all sorts of different counterintuitive pieces of financial advice and guidance. But this issue of the internet was so important, we decided to just make that the rest of our topic and conversation on the podcast today. And the fact that you really need to realize, and you actually used this verbiage earlier in the show, the internet is not your friend. Now, that's counterintuitive, Janine, because we have so much information at our disposal when it comes to the Internet. More information should lead to more education, more enlightenment. So why is it not our friend? Why is that counterintuitive? Well, it's a good thing and it's not a good thing. Um, as we've discussed, you can find a billion answers to your financial questions, but you can also find a billion answers to your financial questions. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, so you see what we did. The Internet's strength is also its weakness in that you can be overwhelmed 
with the choices that you have and what is the context that you are understanding what you're reading in what is the context. So there's a ton of information out there about finance and investing. And, and I think I quote in my classes that if you Google the word investing or investments, you're going to get 9 million pages. Well, it'll take you a few thousand years to read all of that. And what does that mean? You can get a pretty good course in finance or investing, but what are you going to do with it? And that's always the dilemma because you don't know the person behind the blog or the social media account that's trying to give you advice. If there's an intuitive, it makes sense to me, then it might actually be a good piece of advice. But as with anything you read online, you're going to have to put it in the context of what your own personal financial situation is. So you really do have to be careful how you consume retirement information. And here's a great example. And it's a medicine. It's an example from medicine. A friend of mine who's a doctor and he's a trauma surgeon was regaling me with a story last week that you know he runs an ER in a hospital out in Bend, Oregon. And here's a farmer in his field, miles from anywhere. He starts having this tremendous pain in his side. He calls his wife on the cell phone and says, look this up <laughs> and describes describes the symptoms and she goes oh my gosh johnny i think you're having an appendicitis attack so you know they call the hospital they go out and they get him they bring him to the hospital and the doctors wasn't my friend but you know well how do you know this because she's telling the doctors or she's telling the er or the emergency people well i i found it on the internet they're like oh, internet <laughs> <laughs> kind of you're diagnosing from the internet. Well, it did turn out to be true. He was uh, having an appendicitis attack. <laughs> oh my god. So they did they did remove that. In you know, in that case it worked. But there is, you know, there is a lot of very good information and then there's a lot of misinformation. And how you use the information is going to be important, especially in f the financial world. Because I said, there, as I said, there's tons of information and what is going to be specific to you and how you build a portfolio and how that portfolio works for you. And then all the money decisions around that, especially when you hit retirement. And now I have to worry about other types of risks that I hadn't even considered. A lot of people will end up wasting a lot of time on things like WebMD and a lot of unneeded worry by Googling symptoms and, and looking up different symptoms and what they mean. And the same thing happens, I would imagine, in the financial landscape. It doesn't always have to be doom and gloom to where this thing's going to leave you in financial ruin because you Googled some stuff. But uh, the simplest version may be that you just open yourself up for a lot of heartache and heartburn and anxiety over some of the things that you might read or encounter. And that can be avoided by you know, having somebody who can give you a little bit more direct counsel. Right, right. And some of the best articles kind of outline the things that you want to consider, you know, as being important to your decision making, but they should never tell you that you need to do this, you mm. need to do that, because that's cookie cutter. That's a good distinction. It, you know, I mean, it could be that you need to do this or that, but how would you know? Yeah. And, you know, and, and what's the context under which you're making the decision? So that's a really important thing to remember that sometimes you need the sounding board of somebody who is actually following the inside scoop of some of this and can say, okay, here's the recent rules, you know, laws and regulations that influence what we're trying to do here. Great points as always, Janine. Any other uh, pieces of advice that you'd have when it comes to the internet not always being our friend? 
Well, you know, there's like, like we said, there, you can find almost anything. I just learned of a new site yesterday from a young, uh, what I call my adopted son, who's the best friend of my youngest son. And he said, you know, I'm, I mean, he's finishing up college. He's just graduating. And he, um, he said, you know, some of my courses have been absolute garbage. And I went online and I went to this site and I started teaching myself through this site from these courses and learning it myself. <laughs> so I go, well, that was very innovative or, you know, not innovative, but uh, you took a lot of initiative to do that. In those instances, I think those are good things. But so you, there is good out there. You just have to weigh it with, you know, where is it coming from? What's the context? And what are you trying to accomplish? That's a fantastic point. Um, I actually just recently taught myself web design. Just, you know, kind of just said, I'm going to learn how to build websites. And so there's not like a former, formal school I'm going to go to to learn that information. So I took online courses. But as you kind of research those things, is, and this is the same principle, I think, as the financial world here, is mm -hmm. there's lots of different courses out there that teach you how to, let's say, learn WordPress or something like that. But they're not all created equal by any stretch of the imagination. So finishing one course is not the same as finishing another course that was offered. And so it takes some research. It takes some, some dabbling and some knowledge to know where to go to get the best information. And I think it's just a good, uh, a good illustration. Lots of parallels throughout the financial world and other elements where Internet can be great, but it's not necessarily going to be our best friend. And that's the, I guess, warning sign that we all kind of need to take into account. Exactly. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, that'll wrap up our conversation for this edition of the podcast. Janine, as always, thank you so much for taking some time out to join us this week. Thank you. If you've got questions about your financial plan, here's what I'll tell you. Go find Janine. You can do that online at TheusWealthAdvisors.com. She can help you get ready to get to and through retirement if you haven't already met with her. That's TheusWealthAdvisors.com. You can also call at any point in time, 443-718-6311. You'll speak with Gracie probably when you call in, and she'll set you up for a time to meet with Janine so you can ask her questions. 443-718-6311, again, is that number to call. Janine will give you what we like to call the straight skinny on your financial plan when you come in and make sure that you're properly prepared for what the financial landscape has to throw at you in the future. 443-718-6311 or theuswealthadvisors.com is the place to go to get more information. For Janine, I'm Walter, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time on Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission.